Can your heart stand the shocking facts of the true story of Edward D. Wood, Jr.? Hello and welcome to the Dead Letter Movie Podcast. This is episode 50, recorded June 27th, 2020. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. And this being our 50th episode, we're doing something a little bit special and uh, a little little out of the ordinary for us. We've got two special guests with us. Friends, why don't you introduce yourselves? I'm Liz. And I'm TJ. So Liz and TJ are, are some very good friends of, of Andy and myself. We've, we've known them almost as long as we've known each other. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a long time. Yep. And uh, they have an appreciation for... Um, not the best movies, like the Tim and I do. Um, so... Hey! <laughs> I've got good taste. Y'all have good taste in movies. But... I, sorry, uh, I, guess, I guess I'll rephrase that and say that they also have an appreciation as well, um, even when they know it's not the best. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you get the idea. Um, so yeah, we, we, we have talked it, it, it a little bit on the show here in the past about, you know, some less than good movies yes. and and kind of how that sometimes makes us appreciate the good ones more and how you can sometimes enjoy the ones that aren't as good even though they're not good and with that in mind we've uh, we've got some interesting discussions lined up yep this is one of our movies for people who love movies. Before we talked about um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Singing in the Rain, the Muppet movie. And this time we, were, we thought it would be fun to talk, kind of discuss movies that are kind of notorious for being not great. And we figured the best way to do that was to talk about Tim Burton's Ed Wood from 1994. What kind of a movie is this? It's science fiction. A heartbreaking romance. Brave robbers from outer space. Brave robbers from what? So, yeah, this, this is very much a, a Tim Burton movie. Everything that goes with it, it it looks, sounds, smells like a Tim Burton movie. Yeah, uh, the only thing it's There's missing Johnny is Depp. is uh, Danny Elfman. Um, Howard Shore does mm. the does the music for this one, and he does a really good job. But yeah, that's the only thing True. that's kind of missing from this one. So this is a this is a biopic about uh, Ed Wood, who some some few years earlier had been voted the worst director of all time, uh, responsible for such cinematic breakfast snacks as uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space and Bride of the Monster slash Bride of the Atom. And, uh, and of course, the infamous and amazing Glenn or Glinda, his first movie. Yeah, so Ed Wood follows the trials and tribulations of Ed Wood and his attempts to make his first movie. Um, he, by chance, meets Bela Lugosi and somehow convinces a producer of sorts to let him make movies and we see him make a couple of others and yeah we just kind of see him and his theater group and his gang of weirdos make three movies and yeah that's kind of the short long of it it doesn't really have like a very heavy plot it's just kind of it's not quite a slice of life movie but it kind of does that at the same time um yeah yeah it's a it's we don't really have movies written like this anymore and i kind of like that um, it doesn't really follow the whole three-act narrative thing so much, which I think is... I think that might be partly because we see three different movies being made. Um, mm, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, that's that's kind of it. It stars Johnny Depp, um, and this is probably the first time Johnny Depp is Johnny Depp, as we know him. 
Um, he had kind of he had made Edward Scissorhands before, which was a thing that he had that he made with Tim Burton. That he was an active. I don't want to be a heartthrob guy, so I'm going to make this movie where I say nothing. And then he made this other movie with Tim Burton that really solidified the Tim Burton Johnny Depp relationship. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so Martin Landau is in it as well as Bela Lugosi. Um, I'm a huge Bela Lugosi fan. I could talk at length about that guy. But yeah, there's uh, also we have uh, Lisa Marie, who was Tim Burton's. Um, girlfriend main squeeze at the yeah i don't really know how to describe tim burton's dating life really but um they were they were involved <laughs> at the time yeah life. <laughs> uh she she was she plays vampira or uh, uh maela nermi i can't really remember how you actually pronounce her name her 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 real name uh, tim and i actually went to her grave at once one at uh hollywood oh, wow. yeah at hollywood forever um it's true yeah She's buried cool. near Dee uh, Dee Ramon, if I remember correctly. Um, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so the film is full of people who are playing actual people. Chris Weld is a real person, played by Jeffrey Jones, the principal from... Ferris, Ferris, Ferris Bueller. Bueller. Yeah, yeah, from Ferris Bueller, thank you. And, um, yeah, so it is, uh, it's a movie that we are hoping you have watched before you listen to this, because we're probably going to spoiler a lot, spoil a lot. Um, but yeah, let's just uh, get down into it. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask everyone, what was their first real experience with Ed Wood? And I mean Ed Wood the guy. So let, I'm sorry, Edward D. Wood Jr., if you will. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. Yes. I think, yeah, so I know that when I was a kid, um, and it's kind of a lot of the reason I watch a lot of the bad movies, especially the old, the old B movies, was my so my nana had a satellite dish and this was really before a lot of people did and so it was like the monster one that was like the size of your car oh yeah and you had to get the remote and like when you use the remote it like literally moved and pointed at a different star and so she had all these cool channels and she had tcm and she just left it on all day and she would go take a nap and I would sit in front of the TV and I couldn't change the channel because you had to have a degree to operate the remotes <laughs> for this satellite. You actually had to have been to space. And sit, so sitting in front of the TV watching old black and white horror movies, sci-fi movies, whatever, and seeing Plan 9 from outer space pretty young. Um, I don't probably eight or nine years old and yeah just seeing (laughs) seeing those paper the flying saucers made out of paper plates (laughs) just flying across the screen and it being so obvious and thinking like you know I'm nine and I can tell that this is this is maybe not okay (laughs) you shouldn't really be doing this (laughs) but at the same time you know, still enjoying it because it, it was what it was. It was a movie and some of the stuff was goofy, but, you know, you're a kid and you can look past that. Um, yeah, I think that was my first, uh, Your first my first meeting with Mr. Wood. With Mr. Wood. Uh, <laughs> what, about, what about you, TJ? I'd say that my first interactions with Ed Wood, it's tough to recall if it was actually this movie when I was in high school mm-hmm. um, or if it was actually Mystery Science Theater, but that's where he's more notorious. Mm-hmm. For me, is MST3K as a show that obviously likes to watch bad movies and 
you know, kind of have quips and jokes in there to help get through it. Uh, Bride of the Monster yep. is uh, the episode that they did with him. Um, Which is featured in this movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Bride of the... I think they called it Bride of the Adam, you were saying, mm-hmm. Tim. Um, which I'm only assuming that's what it was called um, before they had to change the name in real life. But uh, but yeah, that, that film in particular, um, I recall being pretty rough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not, you know, obviously as a pretty notoriously known to be a bad filmmaker you're not surprised to hear that it's a rough film but uh it does come during a stretch of that tv show that i still kind of have on repeat in the background as audio when i'm at work Mm -hmm. and it's a stretch of about three or four episodes in i think like season four for mystery science theater where it's it's that movie and then there's like monster or go-go and some other really tough movies but brian the monster is right in the middle of it and it's always like all right it's time to go through the slog of this movie because it's 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 got maybe a merit or two if you're lucky, but it's it's kind of rough, rough around the edges, yep. <laughs> and pretty much everywhere else. Yeah, yeah yes, very much so. <laughs> uh, what about you, Tim? So, I, my my experience is is very similar to to TJ's, although I I am really not as as much the the MST3K fan that that he is uh i mean i'm I'm a big fan obviously but not not to that degree but yeah that that was my first (laughs) exposure was that you know they they did yeah bride of the monster is is one of the ones that that comes up fairly often and he had a a few others that are even lesser known that were these these weird kind of morality Stories like the sinister urge, yeah, the sinister and, urge and the, yeah. that, that they yeah, also did. Yeah. Like, did they do the violent years? Um, I they did. Yes, yes. They did. Yeah. Oh. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I forgot about that. Yeah. So there there are some of those as as well, and yeah, I I remember I I think the first time it actually stuck that this was one guy who did some of these things. We were we were actually my family was on vacation in Disney World, and we went to went to a restaurant in what was then Disney MGM Studios called the mm-hmm. Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater and it had this this whole Ooh. retro 50s drive-in motif and trailers from you know old sci-fi movies including Plan 9 from Outer Space wow <laughs> and and they just played you know these 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 handful of trailers on a loop yeah and so, so, okay so this this is this is an Ed Wood movie, and I think Andy, at, at, you know, by by then I had heard you talking some about the the film Ed Wood, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the, the Tim Burton, and and I think that's kind of when that started to click for me. Mm-hmm. All right, I as for me, like I remember renting the, the I remember renting uh, Ed Wood in like ninety five or ninety six, um, and then my mom had me turn it off because Bela Lugosi was cursing too much. Um, uh, specifically an outburst about Boris Karloff. Um, uh, um, but, um, that was so, like, so the Edward had kind of been on my radar because of, uh, liking Tim Burton movies, but the, but kind of before that, or, or like around the same time, I would be hanging out in a, in a video store and, uh, because of, the, of this movie existing, Edward got kind of a resurgence. And I remember finding a Angora box set of the three movies that are in this, um, uh, <laughs> Glenn or Glinda, Bride of the Monster, and Plan Nine from Outer Space, like a, like a pink furry VHS box that you could buy for like fifty bucks, 
um, <laughs> way, like way back in 1997 or whatever. And and so like that was like when I was like, what is this? And that's definitely something that's gonna catch a 12 year old's like eye. And the, <laughs> and and then like and I had issues of Famous Monsters of Filmland because um, there was a couple there was a sort of a reissue in the 90s I mean, it didn't really it, famous monsters kind of came in and out and uh, they would talk about ed wood from time to time um, but i didn't really actually finish i didn't really get to like i i want to say i saw ed wood the movie before i saw plan nine from outer space but i have seen plan nine from outer space and i have seen glenn or glinda but i have not seen <laughs> i have not seen even a rift version of, of bride of the monster but uh yeah <laughs> all right so that's that's edward <laughs> that's edward d wood jr um yeah, so like, all right, so let's get into the thick of it. So, all right, what works in this movie? What's the thing that, that you guys like the best? What's something that you think makes this movie a movie that is great for people who love movies? Whoever wants to go first. I'm not I'm, I'm not 100% moderating this. I'm just sort of keeping no, us no. on track. Um, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. Um, not, not to steal from, from our guests, but... Um, so one of the things that, that really works for me in this movie is is the sort of earnestness of it mm-hmm. that that very much mirrors the earnestness of of the characters themselves and you, you get the sense that Ed Wood himself was earnest in this kind of a way. The difference yeah. is that this as a movie kind of works where Ed Wood's movies really didn't. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> it's, it's so it's, true. it's 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 parallel but also divergent, and it's I'm I'm having a little bit of a hard time reconciling that, and I, I think that's kind of what brings some enjoyment to it for me. Right. It is almost like they they kind of hit on a lot of the highlights of his films too. Yeah. Like having seen all of the movies in this Ed Wood film, like all his mm-hmm. actual movies, they really do kind of kind of hit on all the the real worthwhile points for the most part. From each of the movies, which yeah. is also kind of when you realize that you kind of realize the disappointing reality to Ed's movies. Like as enthusiastic as he was to make them and to try and be a a filmmaker, it's a little bit sad in some sense to be like, well, they kind of hit on the really good parts of the movies that he did <laughs> with you know dividing it up throughout this also storytelling of sort of his life, where it's like that's a little bit of a shame. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's sad. It, yeah, yeah. That 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 struck me too. Um, it very much romanticizes Ed Wood and and plays him up as as kind of this heroic figure in a lot of ways. And you're you're pulling for him. You're rooting for him the mm-hmm, whole time. And yeah. that's that's very much to the credit of of Tim Burton as a as a filmmaker and the actors and all the performances that go into this this movie. But looking at any of Ed Wood's actual movies it's 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 really astounding that that just didn't come through mm-hmm. then yep mm-hmm. and and yeah. the funny thing is like apparently this movie had a bigger budget than all of Ed Wood's movies combined um wow and <laughs> I don't I don't I don't necessarily believe that you know money a good movie makes but um <laughs> there's maybe some truth to it in this sense I don't know yeah well I mean, there's the scene where uh, Dolores just, like, flips out at yep. everyone. And she's like, you're all freaks, and this is terrible, and, you know. And you, at that point, you've been rooting for him long enough, and for the whole crew. And you're like, oh, what a cow. Yeah. Even though she 
other than kind of the, you know, a little bit of the transphobia mm-hmm. going on, yeah. she's the only one who makes any sense. Yep. <laughs> she's right. They are all pretty weird. And the movies are terrible. <laughs> but yeah, they just do a really <laughs> wonderful job, like, bringing you into that of being like, you, you shut up. Ed's great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> mm-hmm. Well, like, as, as, as Ed assembles his, like, troop of weirdos, like, you become part of it like you kind of like you you become like part of the entourage of like yeah you want this guy to succeed it's uh and i and that really is one of the best things that's the thing that probably makes the movie work the most is the fact that you get so on it's i'm trying to think of movies where you're so on the side of the villain at the end of it Mm -hmm. and because it's almost a villainous thing isn't it oh watch me make this terrible movie watch me make watch (laughs) me make three terrible movies at that (laughs) but it it really is um, but yeah. like a good villain, a villain yeah. always thinks that he's doing good, and mm-hmm. so like Ed doesn't really know that. Ed Ed wants to be like I like I don't really know if he really idolized Orson Welles like this. I know they didn't. I know he didn't really meet Orson Welles in real life, but um, like he wants to be Orson Welles. He wants to make like his Citizen Kane, and you can't help but sort of admire that. And the fact that yeah. he has this crew of people that are like supporting him and that are like really yeah let's do this is like kind of neat like you want to have like friends like that you want to have like a a group of people you're working with regularly that is like willing to do that with you yeah Yeah. and and it almost doesn't matter that the end product is garbage yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. exactly it's all about the journey it's all about the journey (laughs) Um, yeah that uh like it's been a while since i've actually seen ed wood i think i that that part of the whole film of just like being a part of it Mm -hmm. is is such a it really does a great job of getting you to connect you know i think it's pretty apparent that burton had a real good passion for wanting to tell this story Mm -hmm. in his way yeah um and his ability to bring you alongside with all that really really does a phenomenal job of even if it's not 100 percent historically accurate to get a to get a sense of what was going on in in ed's life um I don't know. It was really quite well done. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, because Tim Burton had this relationship with Vincent Price, and I wonder if he's mm. if he was able to put some of that knowledge and like some of that feeling from that relationship into the Ed Wood Bela Lugosi stuff. Ooh. And like I think that might be part of the reason why it resonates so well um, is because like Tim Burton really was the best person to make this. So like yeah. because of that. Oh for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was gonna I was actually just thinking about was like how meta is it really, like how much of it is Ed and how much of it is Tim. Mm-hmm. And like Burton, and we know that Tim <laughs> We know that Tim Burton had problems with Disney. Uh, so like bef- mm, like uh, mm-hmm. before like uh, Frank and Weenie was like the original Frank and Weenie the uh, the half hour um black and white short before the stop motion yeah. movie was like a debacle for him so and because disney was like what did you do <laughs> you're like it's easy i made a movie about a boy and his dead dog yeah. like i and you know it's it's hard to really blame them for asking what did you yeah, do like yeah to be to be honest I mean, it is tim burton it is tim burton he, he tim burton yeah and like you, there's like a scene where edward gets the job to make glenn or glinda but he's supposed to make this movie called i changed my sex and so he makes Glenn or Glenda, which is a very personal story about him and how he likes to wear women's clothes. And and then his producer calls him up and like yells at him. And in my mind, oh, yeah. in my mind, that is basically <laughs> the same thing that happened to Tim Burton, um, a, a, like about Frank and Weenie. Like, why don't you 
did you do? What did you just make? I can't show this anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. In my mind, all Disney guys sound like Mickey Mouse. It's always Mickey. Uh, <laughs> it's they have always a, they have a Mickey, Mickey filter yeah. on their phone. Yeah. <laughs> 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 on their phone. <laughs> <laughs> The podcast is only down here, downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, this yeah. is hey, this is not the first time I've done a bad Mickey Mouse impersonation. Um, no, no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like you can you kind of feel like this had to be made by Tim Burton because like like how Ed Wood had to make Glenn or Glinda, um, except Tim Burton knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a key difference. But I I agree a hundred percent with with what you're saying. It's just the the passion of of Tim Burton. You can clearly see how much he was inspired by by watching these these movies i mean as as bad as they were you can you can see their fingerprints on tim burton's movies mm-hmm. i mean yeah, e- even today yeah yeah it's a uh, you, you talk about like seeing the inspiration like it even shines through with for me one of the things that i really noticed this watch through was especially like the opening scene where they have their own version of griswell yeah doing like the intro for the movie as you're watching ed wood a vampire-esque kind of intro at that yeah Yeah. yes yeah yeah Yeah. like a like a combo of those two things that were pivotal to plan nine as well as just background people he knew so like you see that influence in the storytelling and then the opening the whole opening credit sequence as well like Mm -hmm. there are multiple homages to three or four of ed's movies with like you know, the, the the panning over the very blatantly fake Hollywood scenery, <laughs> a lot of a lot of just references to his films. Like, you really you really see how Burton really just embraced it and really went all in mm-hmm. on trying to be referential to to his the source root material. So yeah, so I I think it's it's interesting you bring that up because a couple of those those shots uh you know, at at the beginning and and again at the end where you have sort of the, the helicopter push shots over over the Hollywood area models are also very evocative of some some very similar shots in Citizen Kane. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Kane yeah. is referenced a lot in this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting because like okay so like I imagine as a director you were like I'm I don't know I never read Ed Wood's letters or anything so I, but I imagine Orson Welles would be a big deal if you wanted to be a director at that time uh, but they never met in real life that that didn't happen um, although although that scene is interesting because it's Vincent D'Onofrio's body but it's uh, Maurice LaMarche's voice because yeah. yeah. That was really confusing to me, and I'd forgotten about that. I'm like, he sounds like him, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, like, Maurice yeah. LaMarche's um, Orson Welles voice is the same voice as The Brain. Yeah. Yeah, he just... Pretty much. Because yeah. I, I think the deal with that show was they wanted, they just wanted him to do a cartoon with his Orson Welles voice. Yeah. Well, he'd been doing that voice... i something like that. Yeah, he'd been doing that voice since at least Ghostbusters, so... Um, yeah. yeah. So it made sense. The Orson Welles stuff, like, makes sense because Welles was kind of this, like, self-made guy, too, and always trying to, like, get money. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Ed, unlike Orson, like, Welles knew what he was doing and made, like, a masterpiece. (laughs) Like, you know, Mm -hmm. actually more than one, as it turned out, eventually. Like, I'm a big fan Mm -hmm. of Touch of Evil, Um, which is is the movie that they they talk about. It's like the whole Charlton Heston as a Mexican thing, which, by the way, was was actually Welles' choice, not the studio's choice, but whatever. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I'm like, Welles and Ed Wood had things in common. Like, they were both trying to get money all the time and doing things to make money. And, like, you know, but the thing is, Orson Welles was Orson Welles and Ed Wood was Ed Wood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I think one of the things that I that I particularly like just from the way that the movie, like the fact that the movie's in black and white, I think is is mm-hmm. imperative. Supposedly, one of the reasons why it's in black and white is because no one could figure out what Lagosi looked like in color. <laughs> uh, like that, that apparently is one of the reasons. Um, the like, and apparently Tim Burton was just re- really adamant that he wanted it in black and white, and that originally this was going to be made at a different studio, and then they weren't really into the black and white thing, which is, which to be honest, in the mid '90s would have been a tough sell. I understand. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, but because of that, it makes all the other movie stuff kind of seamless. Good night and good luck did this as well, where we had all that black and white news yeah. footage that it just made sense to have everything be in black and white because it's less jarring. Yeah, it keeps you in it. But the the thing I really, even though the movie's in black and white, you know that sweater is pink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's that's it is <laughs> remarkable. That I mean, yeah, as you know. In, in contrast, you know, somebody like Spielberg in Schindler's List actually put mm-hmm. little bits of color in, in like two or three places in that movie. Here, it's there's there's no color. It's yep. it's all black and white. But it's like, you can you you can yeah. tell with without even thinking. It's, yeah, um, I, I I do want to mention briefly here, and this is this is a minor mm-hmm. minor quibble, but I. To me, modern movies shot in black and white never look mm-hmm. quite right. Not because mm-hmm. they're not in color; they just something about them and and the process of them. Because it's it's it's, it's often shot on color but printed black and white. Um, yeah, 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 and and it kind of looks that yeah. way. It's like there's there's some yeah some some part of the process makes it look mm-hmm. a little too mm-hmm. clean, a little too sleek compared to you know older films that were shot on on black and white film because. That's what they could afford. Yeah. And yeah, no, I totally, I agree that you kind of see that, but that's probably the best you could get in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's not really a knock on this movie specifically. It's it's just something that kind of you know, sticks out to me and is, yeah. is a little tickle in the back of my yeah. brain. It's like something's not quite right here, but... Although if I remember correctly, they had to, the, one of the reasons they had to fight for black and white is because it had to be processed in New York instead of Los Angeles because black and white processing was in New York. And so like oh. that was part of the reason why it was also like a budget thing to a weird extent. But I don't know if that's because Ooh. like that just where you, how you process it and other things is another thing. But like, I don't know. This is all not a problem anymore because we went digital y'all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like we have the uh, colorized versions of a couple movies, mm-hmm. and not really because we were like we want it in color. Yeah. It just it, uh, it's kind of fun to see what they out. think is it's about. Yeah. yeah, and we were watching mm-hmm. Bride of the Monster mm-hmm. yesterday, and it was the colorized version. And it's interesting. At first, I kind of laughed when you said like they didn't know what Bella Lugosi looked like, and I'm like, of course, he just you know, of course we know what he looked like, but. The way that they colored him, he just looked like a guy. Mm-hmm. He didn't look like Bella Lugosi. He yep. just looked like, mm-hmm. you know, just a dude. Yep. <laughs> it's it's but, true. Which is that's that's kind of a problem with with colorization in general. It's like, yeah, nobody who worked on the color process was anywhere yep. near the yeah. production. Yeah, and you can tell, like, you know, they did their best. It's actually, and it's really funny. One of the scenes is the reporter. Um, Loretta King plays mm-hmm. she put putting on very carefully it, and they make a point of showing it putting on this Angora hat yeah and it's pink and and it doesn't go with any of the rest of her outfit that's what I know like, mm. it doesn't go with anything but you wonder if the colorizers were doing the same thing like well it's Angora hat and it must Ed have been pink it, yeah. so it's pink 
<laughs> and that is that is actually true. Um, of the of the Edward movies I have seen, there is a lot of Angora in all of them. Oh wow! The, oh, yeah. Angora does show up. That is a real thing. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Uh, as the historical inaccuracies of this movie aside, that a lot of the ridiculous things are mm, kind of true. Um, like that's <laughs> strangely right. Yeah, strangely. Um, except the really weird things are all true. Uh, except 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 for like the the Orson Welles thing. That's like the one sort of ridiculous thing. That's like the fact that he's like you know dressed as a woman when it happens at that but but what's what's interesting about that scene is it is almost like a dream like mm-hmm. like he's so upset he runs to the bar and he just immediately drinks mm-hmm. and then runs into him like you can sort of believe like maybe that didn't yeah. really happen well, maybe that was all in his head and having lamarche do the voice yeah. actually adds to that too yeah 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 the disconnected I, when I was watching that again this time, cause I think the last time I saw this film had to have been a good five or ten years ago, but I was watching it and I went, that clearly can't be the same guy who's the actor doing the voice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it does add to to the potential feel that, yeah, it is a dream sequence, mm-hmm. which I, I didn't, hadn't thought about that until yeah. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Some people get pink elephants. Edward, I guess, <laughs> got Orson Welles. I would totally watch another movie where he's just making other things, and Orson Welles just appears, a la, a la a Beautiful Mind. Yeah. All right. Um, before we get into things that don't work, I do want to talk about uh, Martin Landau as Bela Lugosi. Uh, Lugosi, according to his son, did not cuss that much, um, which is mm. which is too bad because the best lines in the movie are from Lugosi, and it's all cursing. Um. Oh, yeah. It's it's magnificent. I think yeah. one of the things that worked for me as, you know, was the performances mm-hmm. and especially Martin Landau yeah. and just like, I mean, he is an older guy. Yeah. You want to think that it wouldn't have been too hard to be like, be this cantankerous old man. Mm-hmm. But just like nails like the I'm an old grumpy drug addict actor and I'm very bitter, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with by just swearing. But, yeah. <laughs> and it totally works. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, like, he said that it was important to him that the theatricality of Lugosi was when he was acting and not, like, all the time. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that yeah. that's, like, there is a definite difference between acting Bela and regular Bela. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is really hard yeah. to do. Um, and Landau, Landau does that and also does it sounding like Bela Lugosi. Um, oh, yeah. Like, and does it in a manner that's, like, not ridiculous. Like, all four of us could probably do a Lugosi impersonation, and people would know we're trying to sound like Dracula, but it wouldn't be good. And it would be, like... <laughs> and it, hey, no. And it, would be, no. and it would be ridiculous. And somehow, he does it, and it's not ridiculous. You just... Now, he's saying ridiculous things, like, when he says those things about Boris Karloff. And apparently, he didn't really, like, feel that... Like, he... There was a rivalry in the sense that one of them was more successful than him, but he didn't hate Boris Karloff. That that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. But um, that's too bad, actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's more entertaining to think. Yeah, about. it's it's not hard to imagine, you know, that he 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 had a day where it was just too much. Yeah. That one day, you know, but but no, he 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 definitely comes off very genuine, and it's 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 not not silly, not over mm-hmm. the top at all, except when he's you know. Being dramatic yep. and theatrical. Pull the string! Yeah, yeah that yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like, that's how Lugosi is in the in the movie, so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and Johnny Depp does a great job as well, speaking of performances. Um, this is, like I said before, this is like when Johnny Depp starts becoming Johnny Depp. Um, he apparently, yeah. he apparently was 
channeling Casey Kasem, game show hosts, and Ronald Reagan. That was like wow. his, his inspiration. And you could totally, totally feel it with certain things. Oh, yeah. Like, there are definitely mm-hmm. things that he says that you can imagine Reagan saying. They're like, ah, the best thing happened today, Mommy. I met Bela Lugosi. <laughs> you could just imagine it. I think I was doing yard work the other day and I was thinking about the movie for whatever reason mm-hmm. and I kept, it popped into my head when he's talking about like after the movie premiere mm-hmm. and uh, he says like what do you think about that young man grabbing vampires boobies and he says and the way he says boobies <laughs> like just this weird just so weird and like just like that one there's not really an obvious accent mm-hmm. anywhere else I don't feel like there's just and that particular word and it just stuck in my head I was so I was doing yard work walking around going boobies boobies Boobies. So, so there's that. Uh, that's actually pretty great. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah. So Landau, it should be noted that he actually beat Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction when he won the Oscar for this. Which, wow. Yeah, like, um, just, that's... just give me mm-hmm. that. And I, to be honest, he, I'm not surprised. Um, he, he does a really no. good job. No, he's, he's, he's fantastic. I do wonder if, um, if this movie had come out in a time when there were the 10, when there were 10 nominees, if this movie would have had a better awards momentum. Now, it did end up winning, it did end up winning two awards. It won for Makeup with Rick Baker and, you know, Landau for Lugosi. Mm -hmm. So the two things, very Lugosi connected, ended up being what got this movie to ejaculate. Now, it came out in 1994, which was a stacked year. So that, that was the year of Pulp Fiction... Forrest Gump, Sh- the Shawshank Redemption. Um, so, like, it was never going to wow. be nominated for Best Picture. I'm not going to lie, but... No. Um, now, in a... In no. Because in the end, it was about Ed Wood, the world's worst director. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think nowadays, this kind of movie could have done better um, in that sense, and that would have, like, made it a bigger deal if there were ten nominees instead of five. But that's just Andrews and Tim's Academy Awards stuff. Um, so... <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't believe that Ed Wood is the world's worst director. I, I don't think he is either. No. We, uh, no, we, we, no. we can get to that when we talk about bad movies. Um, but yeah, okay. so hold that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get there, folks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I guess we can, we can, we can pivot towards uh, what doesn't work in the movie. Uh, other than the black and white problem, uh, which isn't a problem, it's just the 90s. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a minor quibble. It's, it's an artifact of, of mm-hmm. the process more than anything, and that's... That's fine. Um, yeah, one thing that kind of didn't work for me, and this this is more on on reflection than when I was mm-hmm. was just watching the movie, is how much it's it's mm-hmm. romanticized. It's like yeah, this this is there's there's a lot of love here, but yeah, even though it's black and white, you get kind of a sense that you know, there's some some rose colored glasses that, that Tim Burton's putting totally. over the audience's eyes here. What would that be in black and white? <laughs> I don't even know. Dark but gray. We, we, we just got through saying we all saw the pink yeah. angle of sweater. So. It's true. We all knew that sweater was pink. I think uh, for me, I, I think it's kind of related to that. Is um, like It's the same kind of quibble I had with Singing in the Rain. Um, is that maybe it's a little too positive when we know it shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> well, but I, which always seems like a weird complaint to have. But if something could be too sad, something could definitely be too damn happy. But it's not like this movie is that happy <laughs> but at the same time but but yeah i kind of see where you're coming tim yeah yeah sort of like the like the glossing over of at the end they're like yeah and he died of alcoholism when he was 54 and you're like what yeah. 
like, he, you know, they sort of just sweep right over. Like, you just see him drinking a few times, but not any more than anyone else in the 50s, I would mm-hmm. think. Or, would think. you know, they deal a little bit with, like, Bella Lugosi's drug addiction. Yep. But it's... Yeah, and that's, that's and pretty that is dark. pretty dark, yeah. That's about as dark as it gets. But even then, they're like, and then he goes to the hospital, yay! And... <laughs> Yeah, I think sort of some of the some of the realities of that, or you know, like there was a lot of people when he would explain like, oh, I like to wear dresses, and they'd be like, well, are you gay? No, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, okay, yep. <laughs> and and you have to wonder was was that... it that easy? Yeah, um, you, yeah, it is. I will admit it is not. It does not have the most woke language. Um, this mm-hmm. movie. Um, but the movie was made in the 90s and takes place in the 50s, so not not trying to like excuse it in any way. But yeah, yeah. On on that score, it 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 feels pretty yeah, accurate. That's yeah. The thing. But you do wonder if it really was that easy for him. Um, however, he was a white man in the 50s, so maybe it mm. was. I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But you are left kind of wondering. At least today, maybe you wouldn't have thought then the 90s. Yeah. I find it interesting how they didn't really delve too much into his his post plan nine filmography like Mm -hmm. he he was still active for quite some time you know he he made made a what was it the violent years was one sinister urge those are mystery science theatered films Mm -hmm. but he also made like Mm -hmm. like i saw jailbait was another weird one that he did he he started to go into like uh not like full pornography but oh, orgy of the dead yeah yeah totally. i was gonna say no. like yeah. like i don't know what you'd what you'd call it i know they give terms for films that are like nudie cuties yeah so i mean yeah. He, yeah. he delved into yeah. that much like honestly many mystery science theater directors if you actually mm-hmm. look through their whole film directories mm-hmm. but like don't. yeah don't, don't don't do that but just FYI. <laughs> but, but i found it i found it We're interesting how they like they didn't really make much mention of that they kind of were like well and then he did this and and it was over and and i don't know that and the other thing that struck me as just odd is why they Mm -hmm. specifically chose to make his love interests his girlfriends in both cases my understanding Mm -hmm. is he was actually like married to both of those ladies yeah Um, so he was yeah he was married to dolores um and she and she broke up with him because of alcoholism Mm. Uh, apparently there was a draft in the script where, cause this happened in real life, apparently where after the thing with Dolores fell through, he had like a rebound marriage where he like was married to a person for like, I don't know, like a week or something, you know, uh, as one it, does, as one does. And that was like written out. They like, it was a, fi- it was five pages in the script that oh, wow. they wrote. And then, and then when the movie was being made, they're like, you got to cut five pages. And so they cut that. Um, <laughs> so. A whole marriage. That's cool. Uh, a whole marriage um but but that kind of also yeah. tells you something about ed's stability which may have added yeah. although it would have been kind of like this ridiculous romp thing it also would have added to this whole like maybe there's something more off with ed than we're talking uh, yeah they would have had to go a lot deeper into i think the psychological issues and mm-hmm. you know alcoholism or whatever to explain to explain some of that behavior yeah why weird he, behavior with, you know how those relationships work yeah with, without without having been able to put my finger on it really i think that's kind of what i felt like was missing there's there's definitely something else here that you know like like you said kind of too happy of a yeah. tone it's, some, some something's definitely something else is wrong 
with his yeah. It's not just that right. he has a bad barometer for movies, right? There's got to yeah. be something yeah, else there's wrong with this be guy. And they kind of don't really, I don't know, it's almost like they didn't really want to address any of it. It's well, they actively chose to. Burton and the screenwriters were like, let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because because right. apparently his, his letters were so optimistic and so upbeat. Wow. That they kind of felt like it was almost a disservice to like really delve into that stuff for them, and they wanted to make a happy movie. And I, I understand. I get it. Um, oh, yeah. At the same time, though, you can't help but feel like there's something weirdly missing because of it. Oh well. <laughs> I will say one thing that is, uh, I guess, before we go into the last thing. Um, so Howard Shore does the score for this instead of Danny Elfman because apparently Burton and Elfman at the time were strained. Um, but the thing I really like that Shore does, so this is the thing that works in the movie, despite it not being a normal Burtonism. Howard Shore's music uses uh, Swan Lake, which is used in the original Dracula a fair amount for like really important Bela scenes. Oh, yeah. And I, I thought that was a really nice little touch. And that, my friends, is an example of subtext oh, yeah. that you don't need to know, but still works. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's one of those things that yeah enhances the movie a little bit if you know but you oh, really yeah. shouldn't need to know anything else going in i think movie. i noticed something like yeah again watching bride of the monster and i was like oh that building that they're filming in front of is the same one from the scene where uh people are getting bella lugosi's autograph towards the end oh yeah and oh it totally is yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i was like well I guess it makes sense that he would use some of those same locations if they were filming in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have to wonder like plus just just probably the hard the finding buildings that were still around yeah. in the 90s that had been around in the 50s in LA was probably a little tough. Right. Um, and then it's just it, well, and also just for budget reasons, it's just easier. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like mm-hmm. you don't have to I do. Mean, you don't have to. That's f- why they did it. <laughs> you don't have to. Well, well, they didn't do it. I mean, like they just, they did. They didn't oh. get permits. They just did it. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> they were like, well, it's right there, and uh, yeah. <laughs> no we one's watching. So. Run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which All seemed right. to me like also a total modern modern indie filmmaker problem as well Mm -hmm. like we didn't give these Mm -hmm. people any money we need to go (laughs) and and i think that's actually something that and we can pivot towards um the the last part of this is um how sometimes bad or at least bad or at least sometimes like extremely independent movies can kind of help you love film a little bit more and the thing about the like if you want to be an independent filmmaker i think any everybody should watch ed wood um if you're into that because i think that kind of gives you an idea of like if you're lucky it'll be like this Mm -hmm. it you may still make a bad movie but at least you have like a fun like amount of people with you yeah um like you got you get you assemble yourself a good crew joe bob briggs recently said this thing had this thing about like how if you want to make a movie just go make a movie and you're like but i don't know any actors like i'm sure there's a college near you they have actors use them (laughs) they're they're just lying around in the grass or yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. at at, at least students who are trying right or maybe you know somebody who's good at something and they lose their job and they need it and they want to play a mute character in your movie because of it now (laughs) the the vampire thing is that okay because i still need a job and i don't want anyone to find out about this (laughs) (laughs) she had an interesting life it seems um vampire she apparently was also friends with james dean like yeah (laughs) Uh, 
oh to be a, a late night horror host what, what, a, <laughs> what, a, what a weird life uh, and actually vampire is a good place to jump off of this um so i got into bad movies from uh from like joe bob briggs and elvira and so like mm. people who were very much following the footsteps of vampire kind of how i got into this appreciation of things that maybe aren't as great <laughs> um, <laughs> that are not winning mm-hmm. any awards um, but when when you even if something's being made fun of, there's still an appreciation, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's that's something that Ed Wood, the movie, actually does a lot well. Like they know those movies aren't good, but they're able to make a really good movie out of people making bad movies by still having a lot of love. Like you kind of feel like they're not making fun of Ed Wood really. They're kind no. of just like you know what he didn't make anything great, but he was still like it's still admirable that he did what he did. So. And I think my love of bad horror movies that I got from, you know, Joe Bob Briggs and Elvira and to a lesser extent, Mystery Science Theater is like, it kind of got me to understand and love film more because of it. And like, and that's why this is a movie for people who like movies is because there's this other aspect of movies that there's loving bad movies is almost as important as loving good movies (laughs) sometimes, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. It's, uh, you know, nobody sets out to make a bad yeah. movie. I mean, no one goes out and says, today I'm going to make, you know, Plan 9 from Outer <laughs> Space, you know, with, with, with eyes wide open. That's It's a terrible title. It's a garbage premise. I've got no budget and nobody can act. I've got like two minutes of Bela Lugosi and a flower. <laughs> and what it's am I going to do now? carry the whole thing. <laughs> yep. Right. But, you know, they, they, they do make these movies, and they're, they're not trying to make bad movies. Sometimes they just turn out that way for, you know, whatever reason. And sometimes you're George Lucas. Yep. <laughs> and sometimes you're David Lynch making Dune. And, oh, yeah. Yep. And, <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, yeah. and this is going to be controversial, and sometimes you're Ridley Scott making Blade Runner. And you... <laughs> yeah. And then you make it two more times. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 on the right yeah, about that. Um, before now, all 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 the tweets and emails we didn't get before, we're gonna still not get because we've got three whole listeners. <laughs> hey, two two of them are right here. One yeah. of them is right here. I know, isn't it fantastic? You guys aren't gonna tweet at us about this. We're not gonna get angry emails from I'm you. We're just gonna tweet you now. Like, we're yeah, essentially in the right clear. Now. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think. Uh, for me, for like bad movies, like I think about bad movies in a sense of my, I mean, mine all came originally from mystery science theater. Um, mm-hmm. That's where my introduction to so many bad movies have come <laughs> so, over the years. So many. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what they, what they fostered in was this concept of, and you see it in life of like, you can't have the bad without the good or the good mm-hmm. without the bad, you know, however you want to look at it directionally. But yep. like without, a barometer for what's truly a bad movie like i don't know i feel like being able to truly appreciate a good movie is not as easy like everything would be the same uh yep i think i think that's one of the big things for me and i will say mm-hmm. that the one thing i would slightly disagree with is there are some movies that are made specifically to be bad and yes. i would reference sharknado and that whole sharknado. series yep. as they <laughs> the were never sharknado. made to be good they yeah. were made well yeah. the first okay. one probably yeah. was they tried to make a good movie and then they went this is so bad and people love it so much let's just lean in on the bad movie and not make a good movie on purpose 
which I kind of disagree with. I'm not a, I'd rather it be, hey, I tried and I made this thing and I'm really behind it and maybe it's not good, but I did my best. That's what I'd rather see. Because sometimes is... that's the only thing that saves it is the earnestness. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's... Yeah, for and sure. And that's a lot of, like, why I can watch something like Plan 9 mm-hmm. is you get... I feel through the movie the, you know, he thought he was making something really good. And mm-hmm. the actors involved appeared, at least, to think that they were making a legitimate movie. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, if... If you've really put your heart and soul, so to speak, whether you're an actor or or a director, like, the end product may not be good, but I don't know. Like, I kind of think referentially in the movie back to the early scenes where they're reading the review of their play that they've put on, and they're right. like, and Ed's really just, you can tell he's digging for the couple of compliments. Yeah. For like, <laughs> they really liked the makeup, and they really liked this thing. Like, that's what he's hanging his hat on of, like, Maybe the whole product wasn't mm. great, but we did these things really good. But I, I think that tends to shine through a lot more for me with like some of the bad movies I've seen over the years where I'm just like, this is really terrible overall, but they really tried. And this one or two thing worked. It's pretty rare that I've seen movies that are so bad where nothing worked overall. Right. There's always like one shining piece where you're like, this one thing was really good coleman francis films it's like hey terrible movie terribly written but this guy in this one scene was really good congratulations (laughs) yep yep and i think i think you're right when it comes to like earnestness thing is that you can very very rarely can you tell that people are having like put a lot of earnestness in it and the movie still like suck all the way suck the uh like plan nine i have always kind of felt like is not a good movie but it's not as bad as people make it out to be it's like an f plus movie yeah it's like yeah. uh like uh to put a number on it it's like a 57 like <laughs> like it'll, or 58 it'll almost pass yeah it'll almost pass. it's a high, a high f. f that's what i mean it's, f, it's an f it's, plus if you um, told me hey today you can either watch plan nine from outer space or nanos the hands of fate you know, oh yeah, Netflix. I'm gonna go Plan Nine every oh, time. Yeah. I'm with you with that. Well, every time, every well, if you were time. gonna give me um, Plan Nine versus Cry Wilderness, I'm gonna go with Plan Nine. <laughs> like, yeah, I barely got through Cry Wilderness even with riffing, man. Like, oh man, <laughs> that movie is ugly. It's <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. rough. It's, it yeah, it's 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 pretty yeah. bad. But you know, to to get back to MST3K, which you know was was kind of my jumping on point for for bad movies and and appreciating good mm-hmm. ones and and actually kind of a, a first realization for me that hey movies aren't always mm-hmm. good like yeah. at all <laughs> yeah Cry Wilderness is not the worst movie that oh, they've no. done e- even in the in in the yeah. recent run there were there were others in in the what was it season season eleven that um, man they're just so impossibly terrible it's, it's like, you know there's there's stuff in in cry wilderness that man that's that's awful but some of it you you just can't help but shake your head and and kind of chuckle it's like they yeah. actually thought this bit yeah. was good yeah you can yeah, see i mean e- even you without can the, see the again the earnestness behind this if they were like we're gonna make a family movie about bigfoot you know and everyone was real into it and you know 
they ain't nobody gonna get behind yeah. a movie that makes no sense about a monkey at a circus who can talk like um, that's a terrible i can't remember the name mm-hmm. of it so Carnival. bad man thank Carnival. you man. Carnival. That's Carnival. The one, our yeah. names are on the credits for the mystery science theater oh, for that one yeah. version. unfortunately so, i missed the christmas episode by the way that i spelled my first name yeah oh so, <laughs> i uh, i had the opposite of that so I, I narrowly missed being credited in the same production with Mark Hamill, who yeah. appeared as a guest in the Carnival Magic episode. I am attached to the Christmas episode. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, there it is. Mm. And I only gave ten bucks, so my name is not on anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I think like being able to have an appreciation for things that are maybe not as great is pretty helpful. You're also able to see how you know how someone builds as a filmmaker. Um, which I think is also pretty interesting because a lot of people don't. Martin Scorsese's first movie is, you know, notably better than Ed Wood's first movie, but it's still not like it's not Goodfellas. Um, and right. most directors start off making okay things, <laughs> and so when you're willing to get into that world and you're willing to see weird stuff like that's like Joe Dante's first movie. It's mostly like it's a semblance of movie around a bunch of footage filmed for other movies um it's this movie called hollywood boulevard and it's ridiculous and it's not amazing but it's like you can still see the fruits of something like you can have the seeds of something great coming out of it and i think that that's a an important part of the appreciation of lesser films and in, in in my opinion at least oh I, and it's it's interesting it's different we were kind of having this conversation the other day tj and i mm-hmm. of like, okay, when you think about, like, writers and they have mm-hmm. early work that a lot of times goes unpublished mm-hmm. and that, you know, you, as yourself as the writer, you would not want anyone to find yeah. because it's your early work and it's awful or it doesn't mm-hmm. reach your standards at any rate. But it seems different with movies because you go out, you're like, I want to make a movie and you get it written and you go get the money and you hire actors and you put it out into the world and then it's there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the other things that I've just seen lesser movies can can give you an interesting view behind the curtain is like a lot of actors whose early careers are in mm. really bad movies. So like right. I think one of Clint Eastwood's earliest oh. films was yeah, well I mean one of them was Mystery Science Theater did one of them. It was the Return of the Creature. Yeah, they, no, yeah, they just mm. I, I I always think they did Tarantula, but they didn't do Tarantula. He is in no. Tarantula as well though. Which I think Tarantula the I think like the same crew in another version after Mystery Science Theater was over, I think they did Tarantula. Mm-hmm. I think. But uh Yeah, but yeah some, like, somebody did that one. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like you get chances to see various actors who you're like, Oh yeah, hey, that's this really famous guy, and this must have been one of his very first roles ever. And it's some like small little tiny bit part behind John Agar, who you're like, who the heck's John Agar? Who, <laughs> yep. the big name back in the film. day in B films. <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, was he in not great movies? Mm. Uh, lots of them, yes. Lots yeah. of them. Like, uh, like Revenge of the Creature. He's in the Mole People too. Yeah, he's oh, in the Mole yeah. People. Yeah. Oh boy, is he in the Mole People? Yeah. <laughs> lots of his butt is in the Mole People. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Not like not like his actual like naked man butt, but just like I've seen more of John Agar than I care to see. I've seen his butt in yeah. good detail in Mole People and his his back mm-hmm. area, as we'd say in uh, yeah. Revenge of the Creature, in those tight no, tight right. swim shorts. <laughs> so... Tight tight swim shorts. Oh, God. 
so um, Liz, you uh, earlier said that you don't think Ed Wood is the worst director. Um, so I wanted to ask, and I guess I could ask everybody if they have something. Uh, who do they think is the worst director? Mm. Like, I mean, like this. This is a lot for me. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a big list. It's tough because what are you know? If you look at your criteria, like. I'm upset with Zack Snyder because he mm. ruins things that I like. Yeah. He's not the worst director, <laughs> but he takes things I like or have the potential to like, and he ruins them. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy is capable. I will say that. I am. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Like, Ed Wood, Ed Wood was not exactly capable. Well, <laughs> um, I don't know. He was capable enough, at least. Um I feel like if you're an uncapable director, you're not even able to get a camera. Well, I mean, at least you see from, like, the directing style, at least as presented in the movie, of, you know, you're walking through a room. You want to get through this room. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, all right, perfect. You turned in a brilliant performance at the end. Like, the directing is, it does leave something to be desired. (laughs) Right. Uh, I was looking up um, Uva, Uva Bull. Oh. oh yeah. Oh yeah. dang. Because he's also um, yeah. just like a bad person, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think as I've heard, he's a bad person. I don't know if that's. Tr- I don't want to get anybody sued for no, you know, no defamation, no. but. <laughs> you have well, not heard nice things about him. No, mm-hmm. no. no. Um, largely because I think there are not really that many nice things to hear. Um. <laughs> I mm-hmm. yeah I am kind of glad you brought him up because I I'd been reaching I can't think of any but oh right yeah, yeah. um yeah. and he's 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 been the butt of a lot of jokes and frankly deservedly so but actual fact he you know his his mo was to you know buy up these these rights to to adapt video games into film. Mm-hmm for dirt cheap and take advantage of you know these 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 tax breaks and and things to get the money to do it and then literally didn't care at all what actually happened as he was making the movie or how it was received because he was getting paid yeah i mean and and that's that's all pretty well documented okay yeah yep and that's interesting because then you get into a whole area of like the director that is doing it for the art and they don't care about mm-hmm. a claim versus the one that's like, well, this is fun and all, but I've also got to make money. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. and then to the other end of the scale with, you know, Uva here with like, yeah, yeah I don't care. I got paid. Yeah. <laughs> Watch it. Don't. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I suppose, like, yeah, that would be a, a, a worse thing. <laughs> yeah, um, like, uh, I get, it really does depend on what you're kind of looking for in a bad in, a, in what you call a bad director. Like, is it just like making movies because you need money? But like, well, I think like there's sometimes people are desperate and they'll make something and they'll still make something. Like Wells has movies that are like. Mm. I'm only making this for the money, but he still does a good job with it because at the end of the day, Orson wanted to make movies, so I think he couldn't turn off his Orsonness. I don't know. It's, uh, Ed Wood has a, has like an earnestness. He has a desire to make a good movie that I think definitely makes him better than the worst. Um, but yeah, when you think of Uwe Ball and the rest of his oeuvre, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard not to like, when you consider the motivations of making something, 
that definitely taints. Yeah, yeah, and he'll 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 still you know stand up and say, "No, my movies are great. I'm brilliant." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not mm. so much. Well, um, he was also a little bit you know, in a situation of he did what he had to do to get it made. You know, in the and mm. in, yeah. in the movie, you say, "Well." If you make our movie about the apostles, okay, we'll fund your crappy sci-fi movie. Yeah. And it sort of sacrificing artistic integrity a little bit, but mm-hmm. kind of not. Because, you know, if he'd ever gotten around to making the apostle movie, he would have been like, I'm going to make the best damn apostle movie there ever was. Yeah. And it would be an Ed Wood film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. However, would it be better than some of the other face-based things that we've seen over the years? Uh, um, better uh, than some. Probably better than some. <laughs> oh, yeah, some. Well, we, don't, we don't need to go down that road. No, um, no. I'm just imagining it. Yeah. We'll cut that for time so, if we do go that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so like, I guess to kind of like get things wrapping up... Um, the uh, thing I wanted to ask is, what is a a movie that has that maybe is not seen in the best light that you think has better merits than people like to than people realize? TJ, I know for a long time you got into a lot of Hong Kong type movies, and oh, maybe yeah. you saw something, maybe you said something in there. Um, I watch like bad horror films all the time, but um, <laughs> the. I, I could come up with a big list, but I, I do have a few. And uh, But yeah, I was just wondering if anyone has anything like that before we leave. I actually, one of the movies that I kind of thought of that's not really considered great by people all around was mm-hmm. Rocky Four for me. Like, not considered good from like a critical standpoint. I think yeah. it was reviewed pretty poorly um, mm-hmm. by a lot of critics and such. But for me, I feel like the merits of that movie is teaching people what it was like during the cold war between us and russia for relations Mm -hmm. like it really does a pretty good job i feel of kind of encapsulating those tensions in a very easy to digest way for people i mean Mm -hmm. it's total propaganda oh of course it's it's definitely i took a class in college on propaganda (laughs) but we should have watched that movie yeah definitely Isn't it like 30% montage, if I remember correctly? <laughs> it's something like that. There's like... I don't know about that. But there's there like are... three or four montages it's... in that film. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's like two or three training montages. There's one where he's uh, he, he's he's driving in his Ferrari, um, seeing Drago because he killed his buddy. And he's just mm-hmm. Whoa, pondering life. Spoiler. Yeah. For a twenty-year-old <laughs> film, just kidding. Over twenty years, <laughs> like thirty years old now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that yeah. when I was little. It's true. Yeah. One of the other movie. ones that I kind of thought was, at least in terms of, I don't know how it was received critically, but to me, like especially with my youth and my childhood, was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original mm-hmm. live action. So, yeah. So when you realize that that was an independently made movie, that movie mm-hmm. is way better than it had any right to be. Oh yeah. Um, Oh, but yeah, yeah. And to to be fair, I think the first one actually holds up pretty well. It's yeah, there there's some bits that are kind of cheesy, but it's still a kids movie from the eighties. It, yeah. it is, and it does a good job kind of balancing. There's there's definitely the the kid aspect for you know the all the kids, the legions of kids, myself included, who were fans of of the the cartoon version. But yeah, there there was you know more adult leaning stuff as well. Mm. and yep, really most of it works yeah I think one of the other things that I think that it's 
one of its really good merits that it's had is it I think it proved out that you could turn comic books which had been around for a long time into mm. good movies. Like you could you could adapt comic book stories into films and do it really well and make a it's not it's not an Oscar film by any means, no. but but it's a quality no. film, I feel. Um, right. That was which, was that just before or around the same time as Batman? Um, so it was mm. slightly after Tim Burton's slightly Batman okay. had come out uh, a year or two before. That was eighty nine, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Tim yeah. Burton's Batman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, the Ninja Turtles movie, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, came out in nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say ninety or ninety one. It was very early nineties. Yeah, yep. was was nineteen ninety. Um, some short little while after Jim Henson had died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tim Tim remembers most things via the Muppets. Um, yeah, um, and I'm it's, not it's, it's making fun of him. I'm just no. I feel like a that's fact. a really good way to go through life. It's absolutely yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's how the Muppets would do it. <laughs> uh, it, it, it 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 very much was, but that's that's yeah. another subject. Um, <laughs> Now the, the the relation there is that a lot of the the, the effects were were done by Jim Henson's Creature Shop, so the, the uh, animatronic faces and and stuff. Yeah, that so makes that sense, that yeah. was something he would have had uh, a little bit of influence on. Like he, I don't think he himself was working a lot directly on it, and and his passing was really rather sudden. Mm-hmm. But it, it it's something he would have been a little bit involved with. Right. Okay. Did you? It sounded like you had another movie, TJ. What was it? Uh, I think one of the other ones that, for me, on a slight personal level, um, was... We were talking about it today, Liz and I. Star Wars, the the second of the newest trilogy, The Last mm. Jedi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Which, I, I was talking, Liz, I think that that movie, from what I've understood, I did a little research this week, it was received pretty well like from critics, like official movie reviewers. Mm-hmm. It got pretty good reviews, but I know like the fan base, lots of the general public... Many of them were not fans of the direction mm-hmm. that it sort of took, um, which sort of explains the next movie's sort of retcon storytelling yep. process that it had to do. Yeah, but <laughs> I Tim feel like Tim and I were we, we were fans <laughs> of uh, we we liked that we actually liked the second one and were kind of put mm-hmm. off by the third one because of that. Yeah, I think my only issue that I have with the second one and the I think the merits that it offers is the direction of storytelling that it took. Um, mm-hmm is not a bad thing. I just think the timing of it was not necessarily yeah. what was best. Like, I think they're trying to wrap up a big nonology of mm. Skywalker storytelling. I think I think trying to take such a, a hard turn that Ryan Johnson kind of did in that mm. film of, like, nobody's special and everybody can be the Force and, and who's mm. to say what it is or isn't? And, like, a lot of that undertone storytelling he was doing feel like it would have been better suited for, like, maybe the first film and the new stuff they're going to do to be like, yeah. all right, we closed out all of your Luke Skywalker f- stuff, fans. We mm-hmm. really told the whole story. Now we're going to move on to new things and kind of do a fresh cut. Either that or, like, maybe have him do number nine, where you're wrapping up story and then going, okay, here's a cut for what's next. Yeah. I just felt like, unfortunately, it just it just wasn't timed well. And, and also a bit of an example for the importance of if you're doing a big massive storytelling process like star wars has had or even the marvel cinematic universe i think the difference between those is the mcu has sort of like one central gatekeeper for the story with kevin feige who's Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's got to fit in my umbrella or it doesn't go 
Whereas it's kind of like Star Wars was like, hey, it's Star Wars. And... I don't know. You take a crack at yeah. it. Whatever. I think, I think <laughs> the only thing they did themselves a disservice with and as a learning experience for maybe for the future, and that's where some of the merits hopefully can come, is like, you're going to take on this big, massive creative storytelling project. You still have to have like a, a central kind of gatekeeper for your story. You got to keep it all kind of interlace and entwine so it makes sense with itself. I could wait 20 more years before another Star Wars movie, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also could. Uh, I, I'd like to add, though, I, I agree with, with I, I think, pretty much everything you're, you're saying there about Star Wars. Um, and and you know, also about having, you know, a, a kind of a singular vision. So for, for all their flaws, the, the prequel Star Wars films had that. And yeah. I've I've yeah. maintained kind of the, the the basic story of it, its 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 plot points and, and its narrative structure. That's all fine. It falls down in the execution, but you can clearly see you know that the long arcs are all there, and the sequels really haven't had that, and that's their weakness. Mm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna come out as a um, I am a Kingdom of the Crystal Skull apologist. Oh, whoa! That, hot that take. Is, I, that is a hot take. Now I we are going to get tweets. I saw that movie in the theaters three times, and I had done wow. that since I was a teenager. Wow. <laughs> I love that stupid movie. All right. it, it's sort okay. I have always been a huge fan of the Indiana Jones movies. Um, Temple of Doom, not as much, mm-hmm. but. It's just, it's something that, sort of childhood nostalgia, and I think that I liked this movie because it reminded me of a lot of the reasons that I liked the old, not-as-great movies, because it was fun. Mm -hmm. Like, you didn't have to take it seriously. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people's biggest problem with it was, oh, the aliens at the end. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, at the end of Raiders, like, they open the tomb and a bunch of angry Jewish ghosts come out. Like, how is that less crazy than aliens? Mm-hmm. That's... <laughs> I was really willing to take that, you know, sort of... I feel like you have to see a lot of movies with... You have to come in with that idea of, like, I'm just going to take my sense of reality and I'm going to put it somewhere else for a little yeah. bit. Sometimes you're good at doing that and sometimes you're not. It's just a, yeah. it's a thing that happened and I think maybe Indiana Jones had gotten itself too serious. I think one of the things that can be a struggle maybe for, for movie series is, is in general is <laughs> a lot of S's on there. Huh? For, yeah, yeah. For, for a movie series, especially one that spans a long time, is if you go yeah. A long time between mm-hmm. I think what can be forgotten is like your audience and their taste changes over time right. mm-hmm. like I think the first set of Star Wars the initial trilogy worked so well because they kind of were made successively um, yeah. and then you wait I don't know it was like 20 years at least until mm-hmm. episode 1 comes out and it's like you've got a very different audience who likes the original and, and Indiana Jones the fourth one I feel like probably fell prey to that, which is you've got people who I, I mean, I saw those original three, we had VHS copies and watched it over yeah. and over. And, mm-hmm. but like you wait. And then after, I think it was what, late eighties. So it was almost like 15, 20 years later, they come out with another one and people are excited. But like, I think moviegoer taste in general had shifted from like, yeah, 
lot more suspension of disbelief, fun storytelling existing in the 80s, whereas it's like 2000s or late 90s, well, it's 2000s, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's like, we're looking for realism in our movies now. It's like, well, that's not realistic. And you kind of forget that there's not a lot of realism in his original ones any either. Anyway, yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes, though, that kind of, like, big chunk of time in between is helpful. Like, I think that's what helped Fury Road, and it definitely helped Rocky Balboa and Creed, I'll say mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, eh. yeah. yeah. No, I, I think you're... T- I'm not saying it eh, to be, like, you know, I'm just... Those are probably exceptions that prove the rule. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's twofold, it's, too, so... Yeah. Tim, do you have any any movies? Yeah, well, so I, I, I've got a, a couple. I... I'll mention, well, yeah, three. Um, so to, to start, this is kind of a, a less controversial pick. This one is not terribly well appreciated broadly, but it did spawn a television franchise uh, encompassing uh, four shows, uh, Stargate. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ah. Which really, is, that movie... I thought that had a pretty good cult following. Um, it, it, it does have kind of a cult following. It's not a great movie. It's uh, it, it's it's really not. I mean, it's it's got Kurt Russell and James Spader and French Stewart. French Stewart. <laughs> French Stewart. You got a point. You got a point. To speak to that though, Tim, I I have never seen the movie, but I have seen tons of the TV show. So mm-hmm. yeah. I fully yeah. I fully am, am with you on that. Like it's yeah. it's impact beyond just a film. Yeah, very very much so. And as as a film, it's not great. It's really not. But it's fine. And mm-hmm. compared to some of the other movies that that creative team has put together, yeah, you know, that one more than really any of the others kind of sparked my imagination there there was kind of some of that that indiana jones nostalgic yeah, romantic yeah. movie kind mm-hmm. of aspect to it and so that's that's a thing that that made it a, a movie that yeah i've returned to repeatedly and yeah the, the show's pretty good too it's it's definitely a different animal but so that's that's one um another one and and this is one andrew that i know you remember very well as well is uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Ah. You and I saw that in the theater together. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I uh, I saw it apart from that time, two additional times in the wow. theater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> again, really not a great movie. You, you could say Sean Connery's kind of a recurring theme here, to be honest. <laughs> but he's having fun. So, um, yeah, this this movie, I, you and I agreed at the time, would never win any awards at all <laughs> of any kind. Yep. And uh, they felt like they had to have, if I remember correctly, Tom Sawyer isn't in the comic books, but they added him because they felt like they had to have something for the Americans. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, Which, I, I don't remember I what remember the story was I, I don't there. really know. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, all there of those was... Americans going, where's Brad? Yeah. <laughs> I gather there were other runs of the comic later that may have introduced that character, but I don't know Maybe, yeah. where those were you know, yeah. as as far but, as a timeline in relation to the film. But, it's, but that's that's the reason why Alan Moore hates movies is, is mm-hmm. that movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah. it's on the list. Um, that's sad. <laughs> yeah, it's. Again, it, it it's it's thoroughly ridiculous and and over the top at pretty much every single turn. It's mm-hmm. it's bizarre and weird and 
fairly stupid in places, but kind of uh-huh. clever in others. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to think about this. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so, um, as a, a final thought, yeah, getting back into to franchises, uh, mm-hmm. surprising nobody who doesn't already know this, and certainly not those who do, I'm a big, big Star Trek fan. We mm-hmm. we talked about this at, at some length in a previous episode where we talked about... Uh, Wrath you know, of Khan, yeah. Well, and, and, and we did our, our episode where we had uh, a new Ghostbusters movie and a new Star oh, Trek right, movie yeah, in yeah. the same <laughs> summer. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still kind of proud of that episode. But <laughs> yeah, the third Star Trek movie with the, the Next Generation cast, Insurrection, is... Well... Oh. <laughs> Ouch. One of them has Tom Hardy in it. Is that the one with Tom nope. Hardy? Nope. Nope. Right. That was that was the next one, and that one's pretty much universally hated. All right. So is Insurrection mostly, but I kind of like it. It yeah, it's it's kind of cheesy, and and yeah, I, I think in in one of the commentary tracks, uh, you know, actor director Jonathan Frake said, you know, "This is too cute by half." At, <laughs> at a couple of points. <laughs> He's not wrong. It, it, it is. And there are parts where they they simply did not finish the film. Some of the effects go unfinished. There's a, a big climactic action sequence at the end where there's a whole lot of blue. Oh, boy. Because they didn't have time or, or money or something to finish the effects before this had to go out to theaters. But it is... But for, for all of that, I, I found, you know, even when it was too cute, it was charming and kind of silly and fun. And it was an old-fashioned Star Trek kind of story like you, you might have seen on, on the old show and had some of those similar kind of morals. And it, it got into that. And I, I thought it was a, you know, a good, fun Star Trek romp. It was a good blend of action and comedy and some, some romance. And you know, the, the cast were all turning in good performances. I like the movie! Well, you know, I, and I was going to say, sometimes that's all you need is just, I like it. Yeah. yeah. It works for me. I like it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's how, when you were asking me about all the kung fu, so massive Jackie Chan fan, like... Mm-hmm. I can't think of any films of his that have made it to America that were not necessarily considered good um, mm-hmm. or that were, like, downtrodden. They've all been yeah. pretty well-received, I guess, for, like, all the choreography and, and such. But I watch those, and I have many of them on hand on my DVD shelf because they're just fun. They're just fun mm-hmm. to watch. So so I'm, like, a, I'm a horror kid. Um, like I've talked about that a lot, um, and so there's uh, Stephen King once said this thing about how like if you're going to be a horror fan, you got to love crap because um, <laughs> there's a lot and, of it. There's... And he's he's not wrong. Um, but uh, the fun thing the fun thing is like when I was preparing for this, I was I was going over I was doing research on the movie on Edward and everything, and Landau said this thing about how like, everyone talks about how bad a movie Plan Nine is, and it's not even the worst Bela Lugosi movie. There's this, yeah, he said no, like he like the the movie not. one of the movies he made just before Glenn Glinda was this movie called Bela Lugosi meets the Brooklyn Gorilla, oh. and I am not recommending this movie. Um, <laughs> but that is sure that is probably it. worse yeah. than Plan Nine. Um, so you're saying I can find it somewhere though, right? Oh, you can asking find it really for a friend. Oh, please yeah, don't. Like, 
Like that is yeah, I'm pretty sure it's public domain. You can find it pretty easily. Um, oh no! Again, we're the, not advocating that sort of thing. Yeah. We're not, well, it's public do- if it's you know it's on like uh, if it's public domain, you could probably find it on YouTube really easily, and no one's losing money. Just because um, you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, so but uh, when I think when I think about movies that are probably like you know of this, um, a lot of movies by William Castle um, kind of mm. get lumped into this. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think he kind of gets his he kind of gets he's been appreciated pretty well. Um, but the movie like I think I would have a hard time selling people if I just told them what it was. There is this movie called The Tingler with Vincent Price. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> William William Castle was a showman. He was like P.T. Barnum meets like a film producer. And so, but he directed movies. So the Tingler is about Vincent Price trying, like, just like really looking into fear and discovers that there's this like lobster esque creature that are that are inside all of our bodies that tingles our spines when we get afraid. Um, <laughs> is the is the conceit of the movie? Um, and at one point, he cuts one out of somebody who died of fright, and it and it runs amok in a movie theater. And um, if you are in like, and I did see this movie in the in the gimmick that it was referred to as Percepto, where there were buzzers under certain seats, and uh, if the tingler, if you felt the tingler, which is what these buzzers were, you were supposed to scream for your life. And um, I did I did not have a buzzer seat, but my buddy did. Um, and that, <laughs> that is that is one of those great disappointments of my life. But. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like, The Tingler is one of those movies to check out. Um, it's fabulous Vincent Price. It's a really neat, bizarre movie. Um, Vincent Price drops acid at one point in it and has a very bad trip. Um, it is, like, if that's not worth it, I think that's, like, that right there is enough to just check out the movie. But um, there's a movie that is a total guilty pleasure for me because it's very atypical for the kind of movies that I like. Um, and it's interesting that TJ brought up Rocky Four. By the way, Rocky IV has its merit in the fact that you will have a harder time finding the greater uh, finding a great representation of, of the 1980s American id than Rocky IV. Mm-hmm. But um, oh, yeah. so mm-hmm. I will I will speak to that for Rocky IV. It's interesting that you brought up Rocky IV because the movie that I have a guilty pleasure about because it's a little off for me is this movie called Nighthawks with Sylvester Stallone. He plays an undercover cop who has to deal with this terrorist played by Rucker Hauer, and he and Billy D. Williams are you know in this constant like terrorist plot fight having to deal with him in like in new york city i think i'm pretty sure it's new york city it, it was probably vancouver if, <laughs> if they were filming it but like it, you know it's a you know it was probably filmed in Can- or montreal or something but anyway so it's an early 80s movie uh so lando calrissian and rocky slash rambo go against roy batty in a terrorist plot um <laughs> if i was gonna give it the most 1980s way of describing it um mm-hmm. it is it is more die hard than die hard is um, but <laughs> I'm so glad yeah. you brought that up because I went. This is sounding. I know Die Hard. I think what Die Hard Two came after. This that, was a number like, of years before Die Hard. Um, like, this is sounding like Die Hard ripped something off and yeah. did a decent um, job with it. Yeah, no, it's actually it's a pretty good movie, um, but it is a little ridiculous. But yeah, I totally recommend checking Nighthawks. The uh, as my like my last thing to to recommend off of this, and this is sort of in vain and in keeping with what we were talking about. Um, so the movie that Tim Burton made after Ed Wood was Mars Attacks, which is yeah. is oh, yeah. a oh, movie yeah. that I will always say is actually a good movie because it succeeds in all the things it wants to do. It just didn't have that higher aspiration. <laughs> Um, (laughs) you set the bar low you meet your standards yeah it wanted to make a satirical movie about 50 sci-fi based off of trading cards 
<laughs> and that and, it, and not only that, it's uh, it makes fun of disaster movies and makes fun of like '70s disaster movies at that by having a like a cast of stars deal with this Martian invasion. Mm-hmm. And so, and Lisa Marie is in it <laughs> uh, again. A movie that I think succeeds more than people want to admit. It is I wouldn't call it a masterpiece, um, but it is uh, definitely better than folks will care to admit. <laughs> and you say that and it reminds me of I wouldn't call it a guilty pleasure but a movie that seems to fit under that exact thought process Roadhouse yeah Roadhouse. I was thinking about that yeah, too Mystery Science Theater guys in some of the stuff I've read from them writing like they had a massive obsession not just because it was very highly pushed at the time but like yeah, they have been on record as saying like that movie much like Mars Attacks and you saying like it accomplishes exactly what it intends to accomplish. It's mm-hmm. not trying to be anything more or anything less than exactly what it is. And I think a good movie does exactly that. <laughs> yep. Well, Tim and I once saw the, this a few years ago, this movie called Sing came out, which was yeah. just a movie about animals singing. And that was all it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And it worked for that. So Yeah, it was, it was pretty entertaining. It's not much to write home about, at all it's fairly forgettable but i remember that i enjoyed watching it yeah great for a sunday afternoon whereas the movies that we were all talking about are great for after midnight on a saturday yeah 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 seeing as a movie like my my four-year-old cousin loves it Mm -hmm. and that's a movie i can watch with her i can't really well i'm not going to sit her down with rocky four which actually happened to me that's hmm. probably what I love the Rocky movies because when I was four, that's what I watched because that's what Dad wanted to watch. <laughs> yep, I think that probably is a great way to wrap up everything. Um, so that was episode fifty. Uh, thanks, listen, TJ, for coming out for this bizarre trip with Ed Wood. We uh, we really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, sir. thanks for having and, us. Yeah, yeah, and thanks to all of all three of our listeners out there for sticking <laughs> with us for fifty episodes. Holy cow! Yep. Here's to fifty more. Yes. And hopefully soon we'll be able to actually see new movies in the theater, but don't know when that's going to happen. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe and take care. And we'll see yep. you next time. Bye. Bye. See you Bye. later. Really? Worst film you ever saw? Well, my next one will be better. Hello. Hello.